All right, let's hear him. I mean, that shouldn't be that, that tough. DG, what do you got? Man, it's not a good way to start the sermon off right there. That could really be foreboding of things to come. Let's hope that. DG, what you got? Top three holidays. How would you go? Christmas, number one? Thanksgiving, 4th of July. Glistens? Number one? Okay. Rob? Fourth of July? You have you have plenty of adult years to go, so don't no rush. Ronnie? Ronnie's like Ronnie's staring up at the stars hoping Jesus is gonna give him an answer. Ah, uh, Alex, what about you? Okay, go. Oh, ooh, that's a good answer. Mark? I can only think of Easter and Christmas. Easter and Christmas? Uh, Trevilla, this, this, huh? Paul, which one? All right. <laughs> Three votes for Fourth of July. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Controversial choice. Halloween. Halloween. Ooh. Okay. My my. I'm I'm gonna let me see if I can guess my wife's. Christmas number one, Thanksgiving number two, and Easter number three. Easter was high up there for a bit. Fourth of July. No. No. I said those three. Oh, those three. Okay. Um, Black Friday, I guess, would be a holiday. Anybody voting for Black Friday is their favorite holiday. Valentine's Day is a nice day. Um, Groundhog's Day, I mean, that really kind of has some, um, a lot of good holidays out there. So, on the Jewish calendar, there's three holidays, right? There's three main holidays. In the springtime, you would have Passover, right? So, we're probably familiar with Passover, and again, this kind of often would coincide with, with the Christian more Easter holiday. You'd have the Passover. And again, in the Jewish world, that would commemorate the, the passing over, Yahweh passing over the doorposts um, in, in Egypt, right? The, the firstborn son of, sons of, um, of the Israelites being saved. Um, and so this kind, of, this kind of genesis, this beginning of the Exodus movement, it was after that, that Passover, it was after the firstborn Egyptian um, uh, sons and animals and everything, after they pa- died, right, then Pharaoh finally said, okay, the people can go. So there's Passover. There's 50 days later, right, often in the summertime, it's called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost celebrates kind of, it's focused around the giving of the law at, at, at Sinai, right? It's the Torah. And think about 50 days. Think about the numerical significance of this, right? A week is how many days? Seven times seven is plus one. So you have these, it's almost like kind of perfect, perfect, you know, perfect, perfect. 
Pentecost, right? It begins this summer holiday, this, this holiday of, of Pentecost. Now, there was a fall holiday as well. And the fall time holiday was called the holiday uh, or, or the festival or the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Who's heard of that one? Kind of a little bit more obscure one, right? The Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Now, a, a lot of people said 4th of July um, is their favorite holiday. This was kind of like the 4th of July holiday. It was kind of this, this favorite holiday. It was often the most joyous it was often the most celebratory. They had a week of celebrating. It was seven days. And what you would do is you would kind of descend on Jerusalem and you would build these little, these little um, shelters made out of palm branches or, or whatever. Um, kind of outside the city, you would, you would kind of just make like these little booths or these little mini tabernacles. And you would camp in them while you celebrated for a week in Jerusalem, Right? But what this holiday was commemorating, what it was remembering, was a very, very difficult time, right? It was the 40 years of wandering. It was the 40 years of wilderness. It was the 40 years of struggle. And it was God's provision during that time, okay? So this was the, the festival, again, fall time. Booths, uh, tabernacles would be another name. Um, and again, it was a bit like a 4th of July holiday uh, you know, 4th of July was on Thursday, I believe, this year. Is that correct? Friday? Um, I think it was Thursday. And, you know, again, imagine if, if you, you know, you, you left work on Wednesday, you went camping on Thursday, and you, you celebrated with fireworks every night, um, with picnics every day. There was no work. There was games on the beach. There was bonfires. And you just did that. Like, you know, he said, we're getting away Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It wouldn't be quite a week, but you would kind of get that celebratory feel that would often be accompanied with, with um, the Festival of Tabernacles, right? The Festival of Booths. Um, the Puritans actually kind of model Thanksgiving after this festival by the, by the Jews, right? By, the, by this Jewish festival. So you have this Festival of Booths, this Festival of Tabernacles, and this is the scene where we're going to encounter Jesus here in John chapter 7. And we're ending this series on, on water. And Jesus gives these words, which we'll kind of close with, that, um, that living water can flow from you. Okay? Living water can flow from you. So again, Bibles, John chapter 7. We're going to go for a big, another big chunk this morning. Um, we're going to go 1 through 44. 1 through 44. Um, and again, I, I love it as a church when we just all read together. And so, um, I don't know, take four or five verses. I think that would probably do it, or three or four verses or, or whatever it would be. John 7 and 1 through 44. John 7 and 1 through 44. And I'll kick it off and then somebody else jump in. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. I'll come back to that in a second. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go up to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Somebody pick up from there. Yet going up to this field. 
because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brother had passed over the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were walking with Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowd, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said,
still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Yeah, go for it. Thanks all for reading. And let's take a look at this passage, um, what Jesus is doing here. A couple things, and I wrote them uh, while, we were, while we were reading, but uh, Jesus is going to reorient. And this passage is so big that there's about 300 sermons in here. But there are three things that stand out to me, the way he reorients our priorities, um, how we, we refocus ourselves on Christ, and the simple requirement of trust. Okay, so we're going to talk about these three things. The, the reorienting our priorities. There's this middle section in about verses 21 through 24. Jesus said, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, it, though it didn't come from Moses, it came from the patriarchs. Remember, Abraham was the first one to get circumcision. You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Why are you so angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So in John 5, if you were to go back just a couple chapters, right? In John 5, Jesus heals a man who has been invalid for 38 years. He's been paralyzed. He's been unable to walk. He, he, he um, kind of resides down by this pool of Bethsaida. And it's the, those famous words. Remember the famous question Jesus asked? Do you want to get well? Right? And Jesus heals him, and then when he comes up, he, he picks up his mat, and he starts walking out of this, this pool, and he walks into the city. And the Jews there say, what are you doing carrying your mat on a Sabbath? Don't you know that that's against the Torah? That's against the law? You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. And the man says, yeah, but Jesus told me, he just healed me, and he said I could, you know, get up, take your mat, and go. And that's why I'm carrying my mat. And so the Jews after this happens, they, they begin to persecute. And we're, we, we're told twice here that they're so angry at Jesus, they're already ready to kill him, right? So this is kind of the context that Jesus is talking about this healing and the circumcision and, and all these sorts of things. Now, when you look about circumcision, right? So John 5 is a healing. And then Sabbath, right? And then John 7, Jesus talks about circumcision, and Sabbath. Um, what's happening here that Jesus is referring to, and this is why he kind of reorients our priorities, right? Circumcision, if, for, for any Jewish boy, even to this day, happens eight days after the boy is, is born, right? So again, think about that, that number seven, right? The, the perfect number that the boy would be born a week. By the way, do I, is it redundant to say circumcision and boy in the same sentence? Some of you will get that later, but I was laughing at myself at least. Um, circumcision was to happen eight days after, again, seven plus one. Now, what would happen if that, that eighth day fell on a Sabbath, right? This day that you're not to do any work. Um, <clears throat> would you, would you work on the Sabbath? Would you do the task? Would you carry your tools? Would you perform the surgery? Would you walk to your neighbor's house or to whoever, whoever's house would do that? Would you, would you do those steps on the Sabbath? Or would you wait until the Sabbath is over and then circumcise the boy on the ninth day? How many people vote for the ninth day? How many people would say, I would do it on the Sabbath? 
right? How many people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about there, <laughs> right? What, what, what happens is, is the Jews had already decided that in, in this case, right, in this case, if the circumcision was to happen on a Sabbath, they would say, absolutely, go ahead and do the circumcision on the Sabbath, right? Go for it, do it. And what Jesus is comparing himself to, what he's comparing to is he's saying, look, you guys have already said, yeah, we can do this. Circumcision, carrying the tools, doing all those sorts of things. That can happen on the Sabbath. But remember, they want to kill him, which incidentally is, is a breaking of a command, right? Thou shall not kill. They want to kill him for, in essence, kind of doing the same thing on, a, on the Sabbath, healing a man, right? That's why Jesus says, you circumcise a boy on a Sabbath, but if, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, why are you angry for me healing a whole man's body on the Sabbath? This, the, these kind of like, which one, which one, which law takes priority? Sabbath, circumcision, healing, Sabbath. This is the classic, they, the, the Jews would call it a light and a heavy argument. Which is the heavy argument? Which one holds the weight? Which one kind of floats to the surface? Which one has the depth to it, right? So, do you see how Jesus, what Jesus says, he almost, he almost traps the Jews here, right? Again, they're willing to break the Sabbath. They're like, oh yeah, we'll break the Sabbath for the circumcision, right? But Jesus is articulating that I'm choosing to break the Sabbath for the healing, to make someone whole, to bring someone literally back to life, right? When I say that Jesus re- reorients um, our priorities or, or kind of, um, what, what I would say is that we are challenged here to observe, right, what Jesus ends with, where we judge by mere appearances rather than judging correctly, right? Let me write these two down. You know, a lot of times um, there, there's just kind of a lot of, you know, one of the, the criticisms that's leveled against the church, they're just, they're, just, they're just judgmental, right? It's interesting that in this passage, and you have, you have the passage in, in Matthew where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. It's interesting, though, that nobody talks about this, this verse here, though, right? Jesus says, yeah, I don't want you just to look at the external and just make judgments and condemnations, right? I want you to do it correctly, Right? I want you to do it with wisdom. I want you to do it with, with some insight. Um, now, <clears throat> what I want to do here is I want to end each, each little section with, with a question, like kind of a practical question. So my question, when we talk about our priorities, and we, we, we talk specifically about judging, because Jesus says this is, this is kind of the heart of it, right? The Pharisees are just making the wrong judgment, right? They're just judging inaccurately. So my question to you, and here would be, you know, kind of a, a personal application, where does this apply in your life, right? Where do you feel that you're making these judgments by appearances rather than digging a little deeply and judging correctly? All the time, right? But maybe God's saying with this person or with that situation or this, this is happening in the world that I'm seeing, right? Where are you doing this? Let me give you, I'll give you one example that was really um, specific for me. So these, this past couple months as a church, it's, 
you know, we sometimes joke it's about the same, you know, 10, 10 people. We're missing, what, half of our church, two-thirds of our church? And it's been hard, right? And sometimes I look out, out here in, in the uh, congregation, and, and to those in Facebook land who are watching, I just can't see you, so I don't know who's actually there. But I just kind of look outside, out here and just say, oh, man, like, dude, we're missing our church, and I miss this, and I miss that. And sometimes the appearance of our church, or what is the church, like, seems kind of amputated. It seems depleted, right? I had someone come up to me recently, um, and they gave me one of the nicest compliments I've received in, in quite a long time. And they said, you know, I'm so thankful uh, for this church. Uh, your teaching's been very helpful in my life. Um, and they gave a couple examples of sermons and like kind of little points in the sermons where they said, um, hey, you know, when you spoke on this, this really helped me during that week. And I shared that with, with a friend who it was helpful to. When I think about this, it's easy sometimes for me to kind of look out and say, well, you know, we're missing two thirds of our church or half of our church or we're outdoors again. You know, it's, it's distracting. And it's easy to get discouraged by the appearances, right? And God says, yeah, but if you were to judge correctly and look at what's happening inside of people's hearts, right? Is there change happening? Is things happening? And again, I would ask you the same question. Is, is God speaking to you somewhere in your life where the appearance might not seem all that attractive? Or maybe the appearance seems really attractive, right? And yet underneath the surface is just kind of fool's gold. Where in your life would you say that you're judging appearances versus correctly? Maybe a great example, we were kind of joking this morning, sitting on the couch, and we're looking at everybody's Christmas cards. We have them hung up in our, in our house. And if you look at the appearances of the Christmas cards, we are surrounded by the happiest, most well-dressed, most beautiful people in the entire world, right? But what's the reality of the families, right? all the tears and suffering that go through those photo shoots. Um, but again, sometimes we think of, of, of lives or people's just through appearances. My question here, my practical application, where are you doing this? Or, or what's God speaking to you for this, this piece? Where God says, I want you to reorient your priorities from appearances to correct, to wise judgments, to sound judgments. With me on that? All right, two more. Uh, the second one is it refocuses us on Christ. Um, see, when Jesus stands up at the end of this festival and he gives these words, right? Um, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, right? And sometimes when we read this, we kind of get caught up with the imagery. At least I do, right? I think of, I think of streams of water like somehow shooting out of my stomach going out you know out there there's babbling brooks there's some sort of rushing river anybody else get that or is that just me and my weird biblical imagination brian what do you get when you think about streams of living water but the the, the this living water jesus says is gonna is gonna flow from within you right from the center maybe out of your heart or somewhere this living water is going to flow out of you and when we think about this, you know, sometimes we just think that Jesus is kind of like, man, Jesus is just freestyling, right? He's just kind of waxing poetic. He's just got this like, oh, wow, let me use this water imagery and people are really going to like it. But he's doing something really specific. And I want to show you this too, right? Again, in, 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 this, in this festival, right, 
In this booth, or tabernacle, there was seven days. Right? It's a week long. And every single day, one of the priests would go get, would go get water from a pool called the Pool of Siloam, right? He'd go get this water and he'd put it in a golden pitcher. And he'd take this water and he'd carry it up into the temple. And then he would pour it at the base of the altar in front of the high priest, right? So every day, every day this, 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 um, this festival, this, one of the priests would do this. He'd carry this water of golden pitcher. He'd carry it all the way up into Jerusalem, into the temple. And then he would pour it out at the base of the altar, are you with me so far? Now, this, this symbolized, one of the symbols of this was, again, this, since this one happens, or since Booth's happens in the fall, it would symbolize uh, like a prayer for rain, right? That rain would come and nourish the crops. This was often, again, kind of a harvest festival. The, 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 um, the Puritans would model kind of Thanksgiving off after it. It would symbolize rain, and then it would also symbolize the pouring of the Spirit. So it was kind of rain... that God's spirit would pour out on to the people. Now, they would, do the, they would do the pitcher into the basin, right? They would recite all these, these messianic prophecies that had water overtures. Isaiah 55.1 would be recited. Come, all you who are thirsty, come and drink the water I offer you. Isaiah 58.11 would be recited. You will be like a spring whose waters never fail. Ezekiel 47 would be recited. Ezekiel's vision here is is water flowing from all directions of the temple. It's this life-giving, it's life-generating water. Um, Joel would be recited uh, during this time. Uh, Joel 3.18, the great day where water flows everywhere. Zechariah 14.8, the great day where living water flows from Jerusalem east and west. Now, on the last day, right, they're going to do, they're going to do the pitcher. They're going to do the trumpets. They are going to do um, palm branches. Palm branches, again, symbolize it would be, um, it, it's like waving an American, like when we wave American flags, they would wave palm branches. It was their symbol of nationalism. It was their symbol of their, of their country, right? They would wave palm branches. They would, again, they'd read scripture. These messianic verses of water being poured out, they would do all these things, right? They, they, would, they would plead to Yahweh for the sending of the Messiah, the one who would liberate and redeem. Again, when it says in verse 37... On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, right? Again, he's not just waxing poetic. He's not just kind of freestyling, you know, um, just beautiful words together. He's standing up on day seven, right? And in the presence of the 24 divisions of priesthood, He's giving a dramatic cry. And what he's intending to do here, which is something that we don't see Jesus do all that often, is he's pointing the attention to himself. 
Oftentimes we see Jesus more trying to deflect attention. Don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Don't let them know what's happening. Jesus stands up on the seventh day here and he is stepping in essence onto the Jewish stage of redemption, right? The one who is going to be this life-giving water. The one whom the whole festival, right? This whole festival, this whole 4th of July is, is, is all about. Imagine a political leader right now, right? Or this, this coming 4th of July stood up somewhere in Washington, D.C. and said, all of 4th of July, all of American freedom points to me, right? I am the one. I am the, the liberation, the freedom, the stars and the stripes, right? This is what Jesus is doing. Again, he's, he's kind of centering this whole thing on himself. We don't see Jesus do that often, but, but really in this, this whole context, he's refocusing everything on Christ. And so this is a challenge then for us too, right? Where in our lives do we again need to refocus our lives around Christ? At the beginning of this month, I, I sent, you know, I sent some correspondence out to the church and I said, hey, a lot of Christmas has gotten kind of amputated, stripped away, right? This is an opportunity for us to refocus our hearts and our minds on the hope of the world, on Jesus. And I said, you can do that by reciting the Lord's Prayer. You can do that by texting other people and just being encouraging to them. Uh, you can do that by memorizing um, the birth narrative. There's all these ways for us to refocus. And again, maybe you have been doing that. Maybe you haven't been doing that. But I'm, again, speaking to you and saying, refocus your energy, your attention, your mind, your heart on the one, right? The living water. All right. One more. Picture and, yeah, trumpets, although, I will, just that way. Somebody's going to be walking by and be like, what are they talking about over there? There we go. You know, one of the most striking or underrated um, parts of this passage is living water's simple requirement. Go down to verse, um, again, 37, 38. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, as, as scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Okay? Um, what is the requirement for this, this living water to flow from, from within you? Here's what it's not. It's not ten spiritual rules. Jesus doesn't stand up and say, if you, my people, follow these ten spiritual rules, then the living water will flow, right? It's not purification steps before the Holy Spirit. If you, my people, stand up and in front of everyone right here get baptized, then the Holy Spirit will come to you. It's not X years of faithful obedience. You have to be obedient to me for five years before you get the living water, before you get the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not a certain male surgery that you have to do. Right? Jesus is not standing up and saying, those who are circumcised will have the living water, the Spirit. Right? 
It's none of that. It's really straightforward. It's almost an involuntary request that you're what? That you're thirsty. It's simple trust that you're thirsty, right? That you have an appetite, that you're aware of your need, that somewhere deep in yourself you're like, man, I've tried a lot of things in this life and I still, I still don't feel satisfied. I'm thirsty for something more. And that's it. That's it, right? Now, us, us preachers, us pastors can make it real complicated and a lot of times we overthink it. But Jesus is saying, you want the living water? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for it? Right? Um, and this is, by the way, the difference between Christianity and other religions, right? The other religions are going to say, here's all the things you got to do to get to God, right? This, if you do all these things, then God will give you his spirit, his, all those sorts of things. Christianity says, no, you don't really have to do anything. You just have to, you just have to trust. You just have to believe. And I know you, what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that is doing something, right? Trusting and believing. Let me, let me read you this quote, one of my favorite quotes about this. A guy named Frederick Buechner, he says, he says this gift, right? This gift of grace, this gift of salvation, this gift that we receive. He says, like any other gift, the gift can only be yours if you reach out and take it, right? This part. But then he has this great last couple words. He says, maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too, right? Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. <clears throat> Maybe just being able to trust and believe is a gift from God, right? Maybe just being able to trust and believe is a gift from God. <coughs> I got one more thing I want to say. I think I'm going to make it. <coughs> <laughs> just water. <laughs> so, you, you know, and I referenced this particular commentator, his name is Dale Bruner has this great commentary in the book of John. This week he had this, he kind of ended his section on John 7, <clears throat> this passage, with this, this, simple and <clears throat> this simple and profound conclusion that really encouraged me, and I want to just kind of end it here. He's preparing to, to, Bruner was preparing to preach on this text, and this would have been years ago. And so he says to his friend, he says, hey, Brian, can you give me some insight? What's your wisdom in on this text? What do you, what do you think um, you see? What's, what's, what, what happens to you when you read this text? And his friend says, my goodness, I don't feel like my little life reflects rivers of living water. Have I done something wrong? Am I not drinking properly? Um... Or frequently enough? Do I have a dry spot in my throat that I, <laughs> that water just won't, sorry. You know, so his friend says, 
I don't feel like I don't feel like the kind of person which which rivers of living water flow from, right? Have I done something wrong? Anybody relate with this guy? Have I done something wrong? Am I not drinking properly? Am I not drinking frequently enough? And then he ends up, help me with this, right? And so Bruner asks his friend, hey, what do you think about this? And this his friend says, I, I, don't, I don't feel like this is me. Now, Bruner then talks about um, kind of two old commentators, one of whom, so, you know, Bruner kind of throws it back to the early 1900s, these old, these, these even older timers, guys who were teaching in Princeton Seminary in the early 1900s, like from 1900 to 1930. One of them named, uh, his name is uh, Charles Erdman, and another guy's name is Robert Speer, right? So Bruner then kind of recalls this, this interaction between Erdman and Speer, right? These old, old Princeton com- uh, theologians. And Speer... Uh, I'm sorry, Erdman kind of noticed this, this guy named Spear, and he said, this guy Spear, like, he has this life that's just flowing with living water. And, and he observes it, and he said, man, this guy just, it, it flows with, you know, it's just, this, this Dr. Spear, he is the John 7, 38, right? He is the living water flowing. But Erdman said this. It's so fascinating what Erdman said. He says, I'm now convinced that those Christians who are most filled with the Holy Spirit, who are most pouring out of the living water, are least conscious of it. Erdman's watching Spears' life, right? And he says, I'm now convinced that those Christians who are most filled with the Holy Spirit, the living water, are least conscious of it. All they know is they want to serve Jesus and they feel that they are deeply unworthy servants. Bruner calls this Erdman's Law, right? That Christians, oftentimes, who are most filled with the Spirit, who are most filled with the living water, they don't have a clue, right? That interesting to think about? You think about the, the great spiritual giants and you think about the people who get up there and boldly proclaim and, and have all these great words. And Erdman's Law, right? Erdman's Law said, the people who are most filled with the Spirit are probably least conscious of it, right? Last week we used that quote that Dal- from Dallas Willard. says, God wants to grow you to the point where you can do whatever you want, right? God wants to grow you to the point where you can do whatever you want. Don't you see when the Spirit fills you, right? And you're kind of doing, your, your wills and wishes and desires are so in line with God. Again, it's almost like that involuntary, you just lose consciousness of it. It's just who you are, right? Erdman's Law, um, those who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are least conscious of it. All they know is they want to serve Jesus Christ and they feel that they are unworthy servants. But it all starts with that simple thirst. Last question. Can you think of someone who exemplifies Erdman's law? Can you think of someone in your life who you would say, man, that person is filled with the Spirit, but they probably don't even know. They they just are so almost unaware of it. They're not conscious of it, right? Can you think of someone in your life who does that, okay?
And by the way, that could be you, right? Because what, what Bruno's friend says is like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I, I'm this person. I don't, I don't feel like the living water is flowing. And maybe that's because the spirit has filled you to the point where you're almost unconscious of it, right? Where you're not like, oh, I'm going to go be filled with the spirit. It's just naturally flowing from you. So <clears throat> I think that's good for, for this morning. Again, this passage, it reorients our priorities, right? Where, do we, where are we judging inaccurately? And here come the kids, by the way. It refocuses us on Christ. Um, again, Jesus kind of stands and, and focuses himself uh, on Christ or focuses the whole, the whole um, festival on himself. But then it just requires this simple trust, right? This simple thirst that we just know that we need Jesus and we want to serve him. That's it. Um, it's not any, you know, all these hoops you have to come through. It's just a real simple trust. And then who in your life um, kind of exemplifies Erdman's law. Should we take a pause there? You know, now that I got this throat lozenge, I can go for another 30, 40 minutes. If you guys want, I'll wear you out. Yeah, let me say a word of prayer. And Lord, if I, if I have a prayer for, for my brothers and sisters here, I mean, this is it. That they would come to you. That streams of living water would flow from within them because of their belief, because of their trust, because of, of what they, they know you to be in their lives. And I, even the kids playing in the background Lord, streams of living water would flow from them. Sometimes we need them to teach us, to humble us, to guide us. That their living water would, would quench our hearts where we become calloused and indifferent and irritable and frustrated and impatient. Lord, even streams of living water would flow from the children into our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together. May this, may this week, you know, again, our, our focus and our hope on the name of Jesus be all the more evident. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, I know I put it in the email, but I'll just announce it real quick. We'll do a small gathering here on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock. So we'll kind of do like an hour, probably similar to this. Brian's going Brian's gonna to play some scary Halloween songs, I think, because <laughs> that's his favorite holiday. Yeah, he's going to play the Nightmare Before Christmas.